If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you. So a lot to get to on the vaccine front. Now, on the day that uh, we've learned that the U.S. is going to loan Canada 1.5 million AstraZeneca vaccines, uh, there are still lingering questions about the vaccine itself. Now, Canada insists that the AstraZeneca vaccine is safe and effective. We are continuing to administer it. The U.K., of course, uh, is quite further ahead. In fact, millions and millions of doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine have been uh, administered in the UK. And they say there's nothing to indicate that there's any problem with this vaccine. As you probably know, though, a number of European countries have paused uh, their vaccine roll, or at least paused the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine as they explore this concern over potential blood clotting issues. Now, we're talking about a very small number of cases, but authorities in this country say they're unusual enough they need to take these steps let me just if we get back to the audio here quickly patrick just want to play the clip uh, clip number six so this today uh emir cook who is the executive director of the european medical agency announcing today the results of their investigation into all of this and their position on all of this here's what she had to say our expert committee on the safety of medicines the pharmacovigilance and risk assessment committee has now come to a conclusion on the review of cases of blood clots in people vaccinated with astrazeneca's covid 19 vaccine the committee has come to a clear scientific conclusion this is a safe and effective vaccine its benefits in protecting people from COVID-19 with the associated risks of death and hospitalization outweigh the possible risks. The committee also concluded that the vaccine is not associated with an increase in the overall risk of thromboembolic events or blood clots. Now, during the investigation and review, we began to see a small number of cases of rare and unusual but very serious clotting disorders, and this then triggered a more focused review. Based on the evidence available and after days of in-depth analysis of lab results, clinical reports, autopsy reports and further information from the clinical trials, we still not cannot rule out definitively a link between these cases and the vaccine. What the committee has therefore recommended is to raise awareness of these possible risks, making sure that they're included in the product information, drawing attention to these possible rare conditions and providing information to healthcare professionals and vaccinated people will help to spot and mitigate any possible side effects. All right, so it'll be interesting to see how European countries respond going forward because, of course, these same countries are, are dealing with uh, a third wave. And that's the real dilemma here. Not administering vaccines is going to cost lives, but 
you, you want to make sure that uh, these issues are addressed as well. Joining us to talk more about all of this, very pleased to welcome back to the program here this afternoon, Derek Lowe. He's a uh, drug discovery chemist, blogger, writes uh, the In the Pipeline blog at sciencemag.org. Derek, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me back. Uh, first of all, in terms of the, the status of the AstraZeneca vaccine in, in the U.S. right now, and I mean, that speaks to the decision today regarding the, the sharing or the loaning of vaccines, but where, where are things at there? Well, it's kind of in limbo because AstraZeneca has not even submitted a request to the FDA to get it approved, even as an emergency use authorization in EUA. They haven't even submitted it. Although, to be fair, on the other hand, the FDA has probably told them, you know, we'd like to see the results from your U.S. trial before we do that. And I have heard, at any rate, the rumor is, is that they have finally reached the end of that trial. So everyone's hoping that very shortly we're going to see the numbers. But right now it's not approved, mainly because AZ hasn't even asked for it. Interesting. So in the meantime, yeah, the United States has been sitting on millions of doses of this vaccine, which, which is an, another yeah. wrinkle in all of this. Yeah, that's and I'm glad to see that this is being broken out and sent to Canada. And I saw this afternoon that they're offering it to Mexico as well, mm -hmm. because it's not doing anyone any good sitting in the warehouse. That's for sure. Absolutely. Now, there have been some bumps along the way here for the AstraZeneca vaccine, oh, yeah. even going back to the clinical trials and, and what it was they found in terms of efficacy and the, the confusion around, uh, you know, spacing of the doses or a half a dose followed by a full dose. And then we've yeah. had some issues along the way, too. Should it be given to seniors? Now this concern in, in, the, uh, in Europe. So what have you made, first of all, of just the, the, the whole experience with this vaccine and the data? Yeah. Well, you're right. It has been rocky. And I got to say, I'm, I've been surprised, not by, you know, anything particular with that vaccine, but I expected better out of AstraZeneca. They're a big company with a lot of experience, although I got to say, they are not necessarily a big vaccine player. Mm -hmm. But they really should have done a better job with the, with the clinical trial data and the rollout of this and managing how things how things were were presented because you're right it was a mess it was very hard to tell what the efficacy was the dosing schedules were all messed up which was partly something that happened at oxford university's end but it didn't have to be this way so yeah it's a missed opportunity now you know we'll talk about some of these concerns in europe but uh, you know on the, the positive side we look at the experience in the united kingdom and and they've continued to rely on this vaccine which of course as you mentioned was developed in conjunction with oxford university the real world data we're seeing from the uk in terms of safety and efficacy looks really encouraging so what have you made so far of the impact that this vaccine has had yeah i think that it's the uk data that really are the things to take most seriously because that's the real world use in far more people than you could ever see involved in a clinical trial. I mean, the clinical trials for vaccines are pretty big, but pretty big means about 40,000. And that's an awful lot of people to enroll and keep track of and get the numbers on. But as you say, when it goes out to the real world, it goes into millions of people. There is no clinical trial ever that's going to be that many. So looking at what happens out there is really kind of the last word. Now, we've got the concerns about blood clotting. You heard the clip, uh, the, the European Medical Association, mm -hmm. or agency rather, still standing by this vaccine. But you got authorities in Germany and Norway and some countries saying 
we've got some valid concerns here that, that some of these cases just seem really unusual. What have you made of it so far? Yeah, it's been hard to get a handle on this. I was very interested to hear the EMA's press conference today because one thing to keep in mind, and this is you know just coming from a drug industry perspective, the EMA are pretty good. They are not cowboys. Uh, definitely not. They're a very cautious, data-driven bunch of people. In fact, too cautious to the point that others have complained about them in years past. So they're not just going off wild here. If they have dug through the data and still can't find anything that makes it look like this vaccine should be pulled, I'm actually willing to take their word for it. Now, there is that rare clotting disorder they're talking about that's shown up a few times. Mm-hmm. What they've done now is is they've given out detailed descriptions of this to the physicians who are administering it, and also a sheet for patients. Say, if you experience any of these symptoms, you know, please get yourself to, to a doctor and let's have this checked out. I don't know what to make of it because the number of cases of this disorder are so small that it's getting down most places in the range that you would expect just to happen by random chance. This is the sort of thing that can just happen to a person. All these things that happen down in literally one in a million or one in 10 million just randomly happen. So we're going to need some more data. So I think that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to collect some more numbers and say, okay, if we continue to see it bumping along like this, then it's just going to be random chance. But let's make sure. And look, I mean, we know the virus itself can, in some people, cause clotting issues. So does it seem at all plausible to you that that something like this, even in in rare instances, could happen? Yeah, it does. It does. And the more mild side effect, which is called thrombocytopenia, where you get diminished blood clotting, is a known side effect both of viral infections and of vaccines because it's an immune effect. It's your body's immune system going after your own platelet production system. And it can happen either way. There are a lot of things that can happen both with a viral infection and with the vaccine because you're alerting the immune system both ways. But these things are rare. They're really rare. Thrombocytopenia generally resolves within a couple of days. This other blood clotting thing is more serious. And that's why, you know, it's worth keeping an eye on it. But in the end, you're right. If you if this is the main vaccine you're giving in a population, and in some European countries it is, you're a lot better giving it to people. Right. That's that's the dilemma here. I mean, you don't want to ignore these potential issues. But the reality is that that not vaccinating people is is going to to be way worse. Right. It's it's going to cause a lot more death. It it really is. And it's a it's a nasty kind of calculation to make. It really is. But it's the kind of calculation that an insurance company makes when you're buying life insurance. Okay, they're thinking, what are the chances this person's going to die on us, you know, and, and collect this money? How do we come out ahead on this bet? And for public health, you have to make these kind of calls all the time. Okay, this is a little bit bad. This is very bad. We got to choose the little bit bad. And in this case, we don't even know if that little bit bad is real or not. You know, and you mentioned the, the clinical trial data in the U.S. That, that we're expecting imminently. So not only will that shape yeah. the FDA's decision on this vaccine, but it will probably give us some more insight on all of this, won't it? Because if, if there's any sort of pattern or signal here, that, that should show up in, in the U.S. data, shouldn't it? Maybe. But it's so the things that they're seeing in, in Europe are so rare 
that there may not have been enough people in the U.S. trials to even see it if it's really happening at that level. One thing we will see from the U.S. data, though, is some more read on the efficacy of the vaccine. And that, you know, factors into the calculation, too, because you're saying, all right, you know, if, we, if we've got so many people getting infected and this vaccine is, you know, whatever, 80% efficacious, let's go for it. What if it's only 50%? What if it's 40 with the current variants? Then you have to think again. But it's still better than no vaccine at all. And in some of the countries in Europe, Czech Republic, Hungary, several of them in, in Central and Eastern Europe, the coronavirus cases are just steeply rising again. It's, it's a terrible yeah. thing to see. Absolutely. All right. Uh, much more at uh, the In the Pipeline blog at sciencemag.org. So for more on uh, developments on the vaccine front, drug discovery, the pharmaceutical industry, again, sciencemag.org. Derek, always appreciate it. Thanks for making some time for us here today. Oh, glad to. Thank you. All the best. Uh, Derek Lowe, uh, again, uh, as mentioned, the In the Pipeline blog at sciencemag.org. Uh, so covering uh, these these developments. So if you want to follow what's going on with vaccine development, uh, you know, the therapeutic side of things, uh, that's a great resource there. All right, welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you. You know, we, we've been marking some anniversaries this week, right? The anniversary of the declaration of the pandemic itself and the declaration of the uh, public health emergency here, or the first round of public health restrictions. There's another anniversary we should be marking, and and one that we should be celebrating, unlike the others. It was a year ago this week, March 16th, I believe, of last year, that Moderna began its trial into their vaccine. So the first dose of the vaccine was actually given to somebody. And here we are a year later, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of doses of Moderna we're going to be receiving in the coming weeks, and ultimately the millions of them. A year later, it really is a remarkable story. Look, the vaccine rollout has been bumpy, certainly here in Canada compared to other countries. We've had some challenges. Obviously, there's some some issues around the AstraZeneca vaccine that need to get sorted out. But on the whole, this is an amazing story. And I, I think we need to appreciate it as such. There's a great piece uh, this week at uh, elemental.medium.com. The absolutely true, incredibly amazing story of the COVID-19 vaccine. Well, joining us to talk about the piece is its author, uh, Tara Haley, is a uh, science journalist, public speaker, and the author of the book Vaccination Investigation, as well as The Informed Parents. Uh, Tara, great to have you with us Hi. today. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's interesting because as we're, we're still caught up in this pandemic and still dealing with cases and variants and uh, waiting more vaccines. It's more of an issue in, in my country than yours, but you know, we're not out of this yet, right? So it, maybe it's hard to appreciate just all that's been accomplished here. What do you make of kind of how we perceive the, these advancements? I think it's human nature to focus on the negative. That's what we do. And, and frankly, that's probably a survival mechanism of some sort, right? Because the negative is the stuff that still needs to be fixed and still requires our attention. But I just, I couldn't help but appreciate, you know, I've been reporting on vaccines for a decade. I, I know in every vaccine how long it took them to make it. And the fact that we had a vaccine in nine months, like from the, from the first human trials, first arm, until it was, uh, in our case in the United States, it was authorized by the FDA, nine months is, is just, it's mind-boggling. Like, if you told me a year ago that would have happened, I, I would not have believed you. I just wouldn't have thought it was possible. Yeah. 
Well, what did you think? Because, I mean, you know, it, it was certainly news at the time that Moderna had developed a vaccine candidate, was already getting into phase one clinical trials. So even in last March, and, and knowing that that's the point they were at, what seemed realistic to you at the time? I thought if we could get a vaccine within about two years, which would still be record time, it would slash the previous uh, record of four months and uh, four years and a half. And it was somewhere in the, in the realm of 70s, right? 70% effectiveness. And, you know, it had safety that was reasonable, like about uh, the safety that we're seeing is about what I was hoping for. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that would be a miracle, right? Two years. And I, I thought one year was pretty optimistic, but you have to remember that the mRNA vaccine platform had never been used before. So right. it had not been ever tested sort of in real life outside of the lab. And I think that's a big part of this is, the platform itself is the type that can ramp up really quickly. And we haven't had a vaccine in the past that was able to ramp up like that. So this was simultaneously, it was more than proof of concept because proof of concept had already occurred, but it was sort of proof of concept in action in the midst of a pandemic. It, it was, well, awesome. yeah, I mean, it was yeah. Hollywood style. This is what happens in Hollywood. Yeah. In Hollywood, you get, the, you get the vaccine in nine months. It never happens in real life. <laughs> No, and I mean, you know, it's, as you say, to, to not have it that quickly, but also the fact that it was a new platform, and it turns out that this platform is, is a real home run. Now, you know, part yeah. of getting to this point was developing that technology, and that's been a long time in the works. But, you know, a year ago, we really didn't know, right, how this was going to work or whether it would work. Exactly. I mean, they had seen, you know, Moderna had been working on that platform for a while, I think since 2013, if I remember correctly. Um, and and the, the groundwork for that dates back even further. It dates back to, oh, gosh, about 20 or 30 years before that. But actually, you know, creating a vaccine in which you tell your body to make the protein, the antigen, the thing that the immune system responds to, as opposed to introducing that antigen, that responding thing itself, had not been done commercially before. It, nothing had ever made it to phase three trials. I'm not even sure if it ever made it to phase, one, uh, phase two trials. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because this really is a story that, you know, wow, science is amazing. However, as you're well aware, some people don't view it that way. Some people view it as, wow, this was too fast or wow, this was reckless. So what do you make of that? And what do you say to those people? I think initially that gut response is not wrong. I mean, I I had that response and so did many other scientists and science journalists. It was like, whoa, 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 are we moving too fast here? Let me... Let me make sure you're actually covering all the bases. Are you dotting all the I's? Are you crossing all the T's? Are you doing everything to ensure that this is just as safe as any other vaccine we get? A lot of us were paying close attention to the process because that was a legitimate concern. And I think what probably blew me away more than the fact that we got a vaccine in nine months is that we got a vaccine in nine months and we did not cut any corners. They had, you know, the the phase three trial had 40,000 people in it. I mean, it it was a huge trial. It was the same size or bigger than the other vaccine trials for other things we've had. Um, The fact that the, a lot of people don't understand that, yes, it takes a long time to go through the phase one and phase two, then phase three trials. But the big holdups to that are money, first of all, because you got to prove the data. It's like, show me the data and then I'll show Mm -hmm. you the money, right? And then the second part of that is you got to wait for people to get sick. And if it's a disease that's not blowing through the entire country at record speed, it's going to take a while for people to get sick. But in this case, <laughs> the United States failed so epically in containing the yeah. virus, which is horrible, uh, that ended up being what enabled us to have enough infections fast enough that the data could be analyzed faster. It's a, 
it's a kind of a horrible irony, I guess. I mean, it, all the people that had to die um, while it was running recklessly through the United States, and yet it was that reckless, you know, um, refusal to do what was necessary to contain the virus that actually enabled us to get enough infections. I mean, it's it's a horrible irony, but I, I mean, it will ultimately save lives. It's just it's yeah. awful that that had to be the way it happened. Well, and it wasn't just the U.S. I mean, Brazil was another country where some clinical trials were done, and they, they've had a really right. rough go. Still are, in fact, with the virus. But you, you get that data back sooner because if we were doing clinical trials in New Zealand, you know, we'd be waiting probably years then, wouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, it's you know, it's a factor of how much the incidence is of the disease, how, how many cases of the disease are out there in the wild for you to get sick by, and we you know, we had plenty of them here in the United States. So as we move forward, right, I mean, you know, this hasn't all gone perfectly. I mean, in, in a big sense, and in a lot of ways it has, but, um, you know, we're dealing with, with variants now, and there, there is the question of vaccine equality. In some countries, it's going to take a lot longer to get vaccines than others. Um, so we're, we're still sorting out a lot of these issues. But, I mean, you look at Israel as an example, even the U.S., and now the U.K., and we are seeing really encouraging results so far. So we got a ways to go, but what we've seen so far is is pretty impressive. So what, what is the big picture here as where we're at now and where we go from here? I think the big picture is we've got vaccines that we know work, and they work on a platform that can be tweaked if necessary if any of the variants become so different that the vaccines that we have don't work on them, which so far doesn't appear to be the case, but, but could still happen. And we we now have, you know, Moderna could whip up another one real quick and easy um, and, and produce it. I think the big focus now needs to be on access and equity. And those were big topics all throughout the development of the vaccines. And yet they are still, that's where we're failing the most. And I don't mean that we're failing on that in the United States itself, but we're failing on that in a world level. Um, I'm, I'm pleased to see that Biden is going to be sending you guys some vaccines soon. That yeah. was good news. And he's sending some to Mexico and some other places. But in general, it's kind of the same old story that it's always been, where the rich countries get theirs first, and then everybody else is kind of lagging behind, scrambling for what's left. And I think that's that's a global problem that needs to be addressed, because we all travel and we're all interconnected. So equity and access need to be our priorities now. I do wonder, too, how much this has changed the landscape for vaccine development, whether we just did this moonshot now to deal with this pandemic and things just go back to how they were, or... Is this going to change how vaccines are developed? Are we going to see, you know, mRNA vaccines uh, for for other uh, diseases potentially? What what do you see as the implications of this? I definitely think we're going to see other mRNA vaccines. Um, They're not going to work for every possible pathogen out there because the the pathogens are so different. Viruses alone are so incredibly diverse that this may, you know, this, for example, this is not necessarily going to work for HIV. It'd be great if it would, but HIV, because of some unique aspects of how it attacks the immune system, this kind of approach isn't necessarily going to work. But certainly if there's another pandemic, it could work. And I'm curious to see if they apply this to influenza vaccines. One of the big issues we have with influenza is that it changes so rapidly, whereas coronaviruses are a bit more stable in terms of how fast they change. I wonder if this could be used to really specialize flu shots in the mix of the season or something to that effect. So I think we are going to see sort of another golden age. There was a big golden age of vaccines from about the 50s through the 80s. I think we might be on our way into another kind of golden age of vaccines where we can start applying this to um, new pathogens and maybe even some of the ones we've been working on for years. All right. Well, people can read your piece, as mentioned. It's up at uh, elemental.medium.com. Tara, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this. Yep. Thank you. It was my pleasure.
All right. All the best. Tara Haley, uh, science journalist, author as well, uh, books uh, Vaccine Investigation, also The Informed Parent. And uh, yeah, Elemental. It's where she writes at medium.com and uh, her latest, the absolutely true, incredibly amazing story, the COVID-19 vaccine. So it's a really interesting history, if you will. I know it's only a year, but it's, it's a remarkable story. You know, it's funny because I think about once this is over, Am I going to want to read anything about, am I going to want to read a book about this pandemic? I'm going to want to watch a movie about this pandemic? No, I don't think I am. Like, why would I? But I, I think I would read a book about this. I think I would watch a movie about this. Because this is an uplifting story. The rest of it, not so much, right? Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me, rob at 770chqr.com. Talk to you next time. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.